0: Hey, good morning, Northern Hills. It is good to be with you here this morning. Uh, I want to welcome all of you that are joining us in person and, of course, welcome all of you that are joining us online as well. We are doing a very special welcome today to all the moms in the room. Well, welcome to you, mothers. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. Um, I know today's a, a, a special day, right? It's a special day to all the moms in the room. And, and then it can be also a difficult day um, because there's been loss for many of us. I've been sharing with you over the past many weeks of just some difficult things going on in the Freda household with my mom. But I want to uh, just, uh, again, continue to pass on the message that God's goodness today, that's what we just want to bless you moms with. You guys mean so much to us. Thank you so much for how you got us through 2020 in uh, more ways than one. And uh, yeah, we honor you today. That's, that's our heart for today. And just uh, excited that you guys hopefully will have a very special day, a very restful day, and just be appreciated and encouraged throughout the day. So before we kick off our teaching name, uh let's go ahead and pray. Father God, yeah, we just, we lift it up to you and we just thank you for moms. We thank you for how much they mean to us, Lord. And Lord, knowing that there's a gambit of emotions and maybe some joy, maybe some pain, maybe any number of things in between, God, we just ask that you would just display your goodness to each mother today, Father God, that they would just feel honored and, and, and just um, enriched with some great uh, memories that are built today, some time spent with loved ones and that, Lord, uh, we could just give all the glory to you for that. And so that's what we lift up to you today, God. And we just uh, thank you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So what better gift than to give to the mothers in the room? Uh, Northern Hills was completely thinking about you. We're going to be in a financial series for the next four weeks. And so it's such an honor and it's such a gift from us to you to be able to dive in, right? No, we, we knew this was very timely. We just came off a marriage series. For those of you uh, that have been with us here over the last few weeks, and uh, gosh, we're we're starting to come out of COVID. We're starting to see some things in, in back to normalcy. And so within that, the idea was that, gosh, marriages have always struggled. It didn't take COVID to have marriages <laughs> struggle. It just sort of maybe spiked it or maybe heightened some issues within marriages. And the same things can really revolve around our finances, right? I mean, financial and and money conversations can be difficult to have. We've always had some, some different emotions surrounded around that theme. But COVID sort of heightened that. It's, it's, it's made us a little bit more aware of some things, maybe even some changes we want to make. And so we felt coming off of our marriage right into this one, it would be very timely series. Enough already. Enough already is what we're titling our series. And so I'll ask you if this, these, some of these words capture you as it surrounds financial or, or, or just money in general. Stress. Anxiety. Fear. Because I would maybe argue that this is, those three words actually capture a lot of America today and what they're experiencing. Because in COVID, we've definitely considered the physical health of, of one another and made sure we put that as a high priority. But we also know that the mental health side of things has taken a hit, right? And COVID has sparked that stress, that anxiety and that fear around the economic uncertainty or maybe personal economic uncertainty i 'm a nerd, um, which many of you have called me that behind my back i 'm sure, uh, but uh, I love numbers. I love numbers, I love stats, I love data, I love statistics, and so I was looking at the American Psychological Association this last week. I was just trying to look at some findings that they 've had, maybe some surveys they 've done conducting uh, the impact of the pandemic, and obviously it was trying to lean towards how 's that really impacted us in two thousand and twenty as it relates to financial, and and what does that look like? The economy in general. Catch this, six in 10 adults, it was 63% said that it's a significant source of stress. And that's up from 46% in 2019. Now, again, this is sort of where our mental health lives. right? 68% of people reported that their job or employment had been negatively impacted by the COVID pandemic. And that that that's sort of a broad, arching thing. Okay, negatively impacted. What does that mean, Brandon? Well, a lot we're saying that it it revolved around hours that may have been cut or having a balance uh, around household responsibilities. This is what I love about Mother's Day today and what we're celebrating because dudes were a little late to the party in how moms actually have full-time jobs. Oh, and full-time jobs, right? And so when dads were staying home and working from home, they got to see this is life this is sort of how life works, right? And so we were a little late to that party, but that's definitely caused some stress. We've also uh, had layoffs causing some of those stress, anxiety, fears, experiencing decreased productivity. Another stat, nearly two in three adults say that money is a significant source of stress in their lives. Now, again, just heightened with COVID and then half, 52% Uh, more than half actually say that they've experienced the negative financial impacts due to the pandemic stress anxiety fear i think we know those three they've always existed this is nothing new they've always existed around maybe the economy or personal finances it doesn't require covid to build those emotions or stir those in us in fact we can just look back 13 years ago right Thirteen years ago, for many of us, 2008 hit, and what happened in 2008? There was an economic crash, right? Do you remember the stock market plunging, retirement savings evaporating, home values plummeting, and and just economic, um, uh, uh, the the economy just contracted in such a way it was, it, it hit a lot of us. And what was interesting during that time is many of us started to form this idea of enough, enough already. And many of us in 2008 started to reframe the way we saw our finances, or maybe we looked at it different. Maybe we started handling our money in a different way. There's an uh, author, and his name's Adam Hamilton. He was impacted by this in a big way, Christian author, and he wrote this little tiny book, like literally, the book is about that thin. It's just this little tiny read. And, and he wanted to bring uh, individuals in 2008 to this invitation to sort of rediscover what the good life is. He wanted to reframe what the good life is because 2008 sort of brought into mind that the good life maybe isn't surrounded around money and stuff and possessions. And so he broke down the ideas just from a biblical premise of like, what does simplicity look like? What does contentment look like? What does generosity look like as we, as we mind the scriptures, as we dig in to God's word? And his heart was that this, this tiny little read would inspire people towards a changed view, a reframing of what the good life is. That's the inspiration really behind this series. As we just completed that marriage series for a very purposed reason, we want to take time to just lean into that thought. Hey, that was in 2008, but now here we are getting out of COVID a little bit. And maybe we are also in that sort of state where we're just starting to reframe our thinking around that. Maybe willing to change some things, stress, anxiety, and fear. Yes, they've always been emotions, but those aren't emotions we wanna just settle for and just live with. Now, many uh, will spend time, and when it's talking to the heart of financial issues, we'll make the argument that they stem from um, what I, I would call direct causes. And these are like the, the, um, uh, financial, uh, the deregulation of financial industries, or maybe c- housing costs, or maybe now currently, they, they really stem from too much stimulus. Or some of us would argue they stem from too little stimulus or the need for higher incomes, fill in the blank. But to me, all of those are direct causes. They're just direct causes. There's a deeper indirect problem that I believe creates our stress, anxiety, and fear around money. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. I believe the ultimate cause around our stress, anxiety, and fear, at least as it relates to money, it's not financial. It is spiritual. That's what we're going to be talking with. Because when that market crashed, many just stepped aside. and They said, I need to make some changes. I think crisis does that for us. I think that's what COVID has done for so many of us. It makes you stop. Maybe if you're not stopping, at least it makes us Pause and we begin to evaluate things we haven't before. For many of us, the acquiring of more, the acquiring of newer, the acquiring of bigger and better. That, we, we all know this, we could have these conversations. It's never really equaled an increased joy of life. I think we would say that story. Well, the acquiring of things have, has never really increased my joy. And if, in fact, if anything, it's tend, it, it tends to rob that joy. It tends to increase my stress, my anxiety, and my fears. Now, before we scare you off for this entire series, because I just think talks around finances, uh, talks around money tend to do that. In fact, <laughs> it's going to be fun to see the next three weeks because inevitably at a church, they start leaning into this. and It's like, oh, everybody's going to skip out for the month of May, right? We're going to get online. We're going to view something else for the next month or so because it just it's our money and our finances are so close to our hearts. And and, and there's just something we don't want to dig in with that. But before I scare you off, here's, here's what I want to make sure that you know is not gonna happen during this teaching series. We are not gonna be advocating that any of us live in poverty. That's not the goal of this series. I wanna be really clear with that. We wanna dive into this discussion so we can dive into that thought of reframing the good life, about reevaluating what is the good life in our own life because there's no sin to having wealth. There is no sin in wanting. We're going to talk a lot about that today. There's no sin in wanting nice things. Money itself, it's morally neutral. It can be used for good or it can be used for evil. Now the scriptures are clear that the love of money, that's the root to all kinds of evil. But that becomes the love of money, right? The problems arrive uh, in our in our lives when we make the act acquisition of wealth and, and, and maybe the acquisition of material possessions. When that becomes the thing, when that becomes the focus of our lives, that's where the problems arise. So here's another disclaimer for this teaching series because we want to keep engaging you and keep having you come back um, and not skip out on this. The other disclaimer is that when it comes to material possessions and money, I think we would be wise not to judge another person when it comes to that discussion. It's easy for us to do, but we shouldn't be judging others because we don't know how much a person makes. We don't know how much a person gives away. We don't know how much an individual has uh, opportunities presented to them by God to step into those opportunities or circumstances that are in their lives that are either preventing them or allowing them. We don't know an individual's hearts uh, um, or an individual heart, excuse me. There's a story about a pastor and he invited a missionary to speak at his church. And he invited him to come speak about social justice and poverty. As the pastor and, and the missionary were, were pulling into the parking lot that day, a, a man came right alongside them, parked right alongside them. He was driving the brand new, latest, greatest Lexus. And so the missionary leans over to the pastor, and he's like, That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, is people that are driving those kind of cars. That's the, that's the something we're going to be digging into today. And the pastor, who is a little older, a little wiser, just smiled. And then he replied, let me set you just straight on a thing here, just, just for a moment. See, I know that guy, that parked next to us. And he makes a million dollars a year. But what you may not know is that he gives $700,000 dollars of that million a year to uh, a local mission that we run for the poor in our city. I know that guy to be humble. I know that guy to be caring. And he could be driving a Rolls Royce, but he chooses to live five steps below his means. So we shouldn't be so quick to criticize because if we were to give away as much as he does with what we've been given, what would the Lord do with that? What could the Lord do with that? Silence by the missionary, right? See, this teaching series enough already. I think it's gonna provide each of us this opportunity to evaluate where we are. Where are we out of bounds on anything in regard to our finances? Where might I, Brandon, need to change some things when it comes to money or my financial situation or my perspective on generosity, my perspective on what... The scriptures say about it. So throughout our time together, I invite each of us to really focus and lean into what God may be speaking to us rather than passing judgment on anywhere else. Now, now to better understand where our stress and our anxiety and our fears come from and that how, how money is more spiritual than financial, I just want us to consider something. If someone were to come up to you and ask you, what's your definition of the American dream? What would you tell them? What do you think you would tell them? Just think to yourself for a moment there. I ask myself this question. How would I frame my answer? What is the American dream? How do you think you'd answer that question? Because our founders, they had a dream about life and about liberty, about the pursuit of happiness. They had this dream of equality and opportunity, about freedom and new beginnings, right? And those are lofty, uh, very aspirational, and very quality dreams to have, right? Right? But what would our definition be? Because I tend to think that the American dream, if we're being honest, it has a little bit more to do with a, I would call it maybe, if it's not a conscious desire, maybe it's a subconscious desire of achieving success and satisfying this internal desire for more. And I only make that argument because I believe in many ways we tend to measure our success by what? We tend to measure our success by the things we've done or the things we possess. I think that's true for many of us. What, we, what have we done or what, what do we possess? And that tends to be our, our measurement of, of success in our lives. And so I'd make the argument that this consuming or this acquiring, this buying, that's what the American dream has come to mean for many of us. And many of us that have chosen to live for that, the American dream is not the American dream. It's become the American nightmare because it hasn't quite added up to to what we expected it to be. So how? How did that happen? I just want us to look at two things. Two things this morning that I believe feed our stress, anxiety, and fear around money that we face. If you're taking notes, write this word down. Affluenza. Affluenza. I think it's defined as as the constant need for more or bigger or better stuff, as well as 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 how that affects uh, or how that need that we have really affects our everyday life. See, most of us have been affected with affluenza to some degree. If if we're honest with ourselves, we've all struggled at one time or another for that desire to acquire. And how do we know this? What's one of our favorite American pastimes? Shopping. We love to shop, right? We're shoppers. And and here's the thing with the pandemic. It really didn't matter that malls closed because Why? We started online shopping, didn't we? And many of us were already online shopping. We were being efficient and doing some of that prior to. But I'm telling you what, I'm just confessing the Freitas household. Holy moly. I feel like online shopping is going to be the death of me. Because I feel every week, whether it's the FedEx man or the UPS man, that there's always something being dropped off at our house. In fact, I try to tease my wife. I tease myself because I'm one of those people that's doing that as well, that we know this guy's. His history. We know how many kids he has. We know his family life. We know how what ice cream he likes because he's down the house all the time, right? We're shoppers, and so we do a lot of that online shopping. Um, but think of this: every ad on our phone, everything we get in the mail—that's an advertisement. Every television show that we watch—it's all filled with those advertisements that someone has either spent thousands or millions of dollars to tell you, you need something. You need something bigger and greater and better. And they're good at it. Have you ever ordered something like maybe from your phone and now you're starting to notice that all these, again, they just know they know you, they know everything. So if you order a set of golf clubs, not that I would have done that anytime recently, right? I wanted to, but um, if you order a set of golf clubs and everything on that phone now has an ad that's sort of golf related or golf course related, or maybe going to take this kind of vacation. You ever experienced that? And they're so good at it. And I believe the voices, those whispers in our head, that that's the, the, already inside of us. There's something already inside of us that it's just continuing to add on to. We find ourselves thinking, whoa, that is right. I do need that. I do need that thing. And no doubt, we can quickly think of something that we wanna purchase next. Of course, a new computer. That's on our radars, right? Maybe a new car, a new kitchen, a new house. There's something. We can sense that continuous fueling of desire for more. And what's so interesting to me is that we don't have room for the stuff that we have already. I told my wife, we got into the wrong professions. We should have been storage unit people. We literally should have been storage unit people. How many storage units do you see? They're like, they're like the new liquor store. They're on every corner, and, and it seems like that's just the thing to do. There is one that I see on every street corner, and, and I'm like, our garages, our basements, our sheds were intended for those things, but we can't we can't we can no longer hold all the stuff that we've already accumulated. We don't have stuff for the uh, room for the stuff that we already have, and that's affluenza. That's what it is. It's this impacted us in that mighty way here's another thing that's impacted us is credititis and i think it's paired it's paired in many ways with affluenza because that credit gives us the opportunity to get that bigger better newer thing right and it's brought on by the promise there's a promise for it six months same as cash right or you can get a 20 percent discount If you use that special card to that store, that special credit card to that store, or just use a credit card online and you'll get a discount, it's basically this idea that you can get something today, but pay for it later. And it just fuels and feeds that desire for instant gratification. Unfortunately, this is my story, that lack of self-discipline. I think it allows just to feed the affluenza, wrecking havoc, in our personal lives, and I think even in our, our national lives, our national finances, if you will. I'm going to date myself here, um, uh, but this is how it used to be uh, for me growing up. I remember uh, my mom or, or my grandma, it depended on who was in charge of that specific shopping over me, but we would head to a department store inevitably in the late summer, and we'd go, doesn't everybody remember Madey and F? That's an old store, right? (laughs) Okay. I have a few maybe that are familiar with that old department store. But we would go in August. And I would start trying on winter clothes. Like literally we were trying on whatever their winter supply was. And let's just assume like I was trying on a winter coat at the time, okay? And the reason we would do that in August is because my mom or my grandma was going to put that winter coat on something called layaway. Layaway. And what happened is that we would use, they would use, excuse me, those winter months to make payments on that coat without me having the coat yet. Okay, so we would get deeper into the winter months. It wasn't necessarily October that I would get that or December, um, uh, those months. I was more maybe the end of January or early February when I finally go back to the department store. They would have made their final payment, their last payment, and then we'd get that coat off of Layaway and I'd be able to wear it, generally maybe being a, a size bigger or whatnot and then ready for the next winter. My kids would have no clue what Layaway is. They'd have no idea what it is. It would be this odd idea, really odd to save up money, make payments as you're able to then, after you make those payments and you've paid in full, then take the item home after you've paid for it in full. What a novel idea, right? And they wouldn't have any clue. It's a foreign concept, but that's how it worked. And so today, credit cards, they've replaced layaway And more and more, we're going deeper and deeper into debt in order to to get what we want now and then pay for it later. Do you know with credit cards, it used to be maybe 4% that they'd ask you to make a minimum payment. I think now a lot, it's either 2%, maybe even some lower minimum payments you could make. And again, because I'm a number cruncher and a nerd at times, uh, assuming you had a balance of $9,000, let's just do this math in our head. Assuming you had a balance of $9,000 on a credit card and you said, I'm done, stop, cut the card. We are not spending another dime on it. But you were going to continue to just make those 2% or lower minimum payments on what would be 18% annual interest. On that card, it would take you 240 years to pay off. Anyone in the room going to live to 240 years? That'd be sort of cool, right? I have a story to share here. I mean, you wouldn't be able to pay it off. That's sort of the point. And I could go on with different examples or different statistics because we also know that loans aren't just in credit cards. We, we have car loans and we have mortgages and other loans as well. It's all just pointing back to we've just become credit crazed and that's sort of our society. Even those of us that are not up to our debt or up to our ears in debt, we know that we can look at the end of the year or the end of the ledger of the year and sort of be like, you know what? I just didn't spend. I I don't know if I spent with a ton of self-discipline. There's a lot of things that I just don't have a lot of self-discipline. We'll look at our W-2 at the end of the year and wonder like, where did it all go? Our American dream has turned into an American nightmare and it's led us to debt and bankruptcy. It's led us to missed opportunities As I said earlier with the marriage series, I mean, what do we talk about with marriage? The the number one reason for divorce. It may not be the number one reason. It may be the top two or top three, but we know financial issues land somewhere in there. What the American dream has led us to is stress. It's led us to anxiety, and it contributes to our fear. It's not a financial issue. It's a spiritual one. There's a deeper problem. Here are the words of Jesus Christ. In John 10.10, 10. the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This, <laughs> there's a spiritual issue that's lying beneath the surface of affluenza and credititis. And I just want us to think for a moment of the attributes of affluenza and credititis. Catch this. This is the, this is the light bulb this last week for me. Okay, some of the attributes are Desire security, pleasure, love. Those would be the attributes of wanting more, wanting the latest, greatest, pay for it, or uh, buy it now, pay for it later. Those are some of those attributes. When we wanna keep up with the Joneses and we want things and we want the nice stuff, you know what that's doing? The bulb is, it's making an announcement. That's how God made us. That's how God made us. He made us to desire. He made us to want security. He made us to want pleasure and love. Can we see that all of these things we are made, our souls were made in the image of God, but here's what's happened. It's been distorted. Think of how it's been distorted. See, the desire that's been created in us, that desire has been a desire to desire God. But instead, what happens, we desire uh, possessions. We desire stuff, right? We were meant we were meant to want security, but we'll find security in what our bank account says. We'll, we'll find security as long as the savings is built. We'll find security in amassing wealth. We were meant to enjoy pleasure, every kind of pleasurable thing, uh, even the simple pleasures of life, right? But the distortion happens when we busy ourselves with actually pursuing the pleasure of money and things, You know this, we get this, we were meant to love people, but that love gets flipped, it gets distorted, and what happens is we end up competing with people. We wanna see who ends up at the end with the most toys. And we end up comparing and living that life. For this note, write this down, we were created to want, we just want the wrong things. We were created that way, to want, we just want the wrong things. And that's why we wanna reevaluate. We wanna reframe the good life. Inside of us, inside of us, yes, that, there's that desire, but inside of us, there's also just brokenness. The Bible calls this sin. And this teaching series, again, we're not gonna suggest that consumption is wrong. It's just meant to be enjoyed in one way, and we've made it, the, the, the love of consumption, the way. We've made money a central focus to our lives we're suggesting just maybe asking yourself the question is that the good life are you living the good life with that because we believe there's a better way jesus said that my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life we were created to want we just want the wrong things and the thief the enemy he'll play on that distortion that's what his job is. That's what he tends to do. He's the great distorter. It's a delight for him to undermine that kind of true identity of, of desire and security and pleasure and love and then twisting it, right? And the devil doesn't need to tempt us to become addicts. He doesn't need to tempt us to uh, become individuals that are going to have an extramarital affair or, or, or to live a life of crime. Uh, that's not how he'll use uh, uh, his, his plan against our lives to steal, kill, and destroy us. He's just gonna have us live the American dream. That can be one of his ways is to convince us to pursue the American dream, to keep up with that next door neighbor and what they have, to borrow against your future, to enjoy more than you can afford in the present, to indulge ourselves, so stress, anxiety, and fear rule the day, right? And in doing that, what he robs us of, what he distorts, is true joy. It's true joy that's found in simplicity and contentment, and generosity think of that last temptation of jesus christ in matthew's gospel this is found in chapter 4 verse 8 through 10 now next the devil took him that's jesus to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory i will give it all to you he said if you will kneel down and worship me Get out of here, Satan Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. See, the devil took Jesus where he could see a picture of all the riches and all the glory of the world. And he offered it to Jesus if, if he would just cho- choose to turn away from God's plan for his life. If we think that this was, I mean, this is the enemy's the final act. For the devil to just basically take Jesus out. If that's happening to Jesus, what do you think the enemy is looking to do to us? If if he can get us in debt and make us a slave to that, what does that do for our lives? If he can convince us to spend all we have, then maybe we'll never give back to God. Maybe we'll miss the opportunity to help the poor. Maybe we'll miss the widow in all of that. And there'll be these things that we look back on and say, why couldn't I? I wanted to, I really wanted to, but I couldn't. Maybe we won't be able to accomplish in full God's purposes for our life. The final note for this morning is that the devil has distorted the good life. He's distorted the good life and it's time to live a different life. So what's the answer? Well, I'm gonna make it simple for us this week. Just come back next week keep coming back come back next week and come back the week after that and come back the week after that and why because we're going to dig in that's what this series is about It's to spend time as we focus on what the simple life could look like simplifying our lives how we could better enjoy what we have how we could become maybe more generous with what we do have and maybe we'll reframe the good life in our own mind's eye for that, this entire series. My purpose, geez, these are Jesus' words, There's not mine. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So I wanna just encourage us to come back. I, again, I think these teaching series are so easy for us to dismiss and, and just wipe aside. Oh, here we go again. And you know what the distorted thing that the enemy does with it? This breaks my heart. Oh, the church just wants our money. Or you know what the the church is digging into a sensitive subject that's about money and finances and they don't even need to go there why are they going there and hear my heart i know there's some churches that are really manipulative some leaders that have done some really hurtful things to people when this subject matter comes up but that's the distortion that's the distorted view of what the enemy's looking to do that my money is my business but we believe that god has more for us as it relates to our money. Do you believe you're living the good life? How's your stress? How's your anxiety? How are your fears? Or is God asking all of us? Maybe there's just some things we need to change. Maybe there's a nugget of wisdom that we're supposed to gain through this time. We're not going to suggest that you should never buy anything again, right? We're not suggesting that you shouldn't buy a car or that you shouldn't go on vacation or that you shouldn't buy new clothes or something else that we may want because we were created to want. That's how God created us. We're just suggesting there's been a distortion. We're suggesting that with the help of God, we can aim to simplify and silence the voices that constantly tell us we need more. We can live counterculturally against What the enemy's trying to do we can live within our means or maybe even lower than our means and not above our means and maybe see a different life we we just want to say enough already enough so we can reframe our thinking our closing song this morning is a new song called gyra Um, i just love this song i love this song for this series i love this song for our lives um Many of us know there are different names for our great God in scripture. And one of them is Jehovah Jireh, and it means the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And so as we take time to sing this next song, I just want us to consider that when we lean into the great provider, that we're gonna see some really cool things. So we're not gonna have a constant need for more in our lives to fill the gap because he's filling all those gaps. I would suggest that the great provider, the Jehovah Jireh, when we trust that and we know that to the depths of our heart, all of a sudden, we're not in debt to anything because someone in our life has already paid the debt for for our lives, for our hearts. And if you today, if you today have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ online or here in person, today's the day to do that. Because I would just suggest that you probably, in the midst of your life, have tried to add a lot of different things to make life work. The only thing that's gonna make life work is a relationship with Jesus. He has paid the debt for each one of us by putting his life on that cross, dying a death, being accused of crimes he was wrongly accused of. Paying the price for each one of us and then proving he was God by resurrecting. That is his story. That's part of our story. If you would just humbly come before him and say, you know what, God? I've tried a lot of different things. Maybe money has even been included in that to make sense and purpose of my life. But you're you're enough. That's just a heart, that's just a heart decision. So I'm gonna ask you to pray with me as I pray aloud in the in the uh, silence of your hearts. Just this prayer to God. Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you for this series for what you're going to do within this series, God. And God this morning We're just praying for our friends that maybe have not put their trust and faith in you. They have not committed to living a life chasing relationship with you, Father God. And I pray you would help all of those friends of mine that are in that place this morning and say, I'm done living a life where I have to add something or have to do something. It's already been done with the great work of Jesus. If they would just pray silently in their hearts, Lord, I am a sinner, I'm broken, tried a lot of things to fill that and Lord, I'm inviting you to come in and change me from the inside out, Father God. We know that your word, we know that your word says if we confess with our mouths and we believe in our heart that truth, that we will be saved, Father God. And I pray they would just celebrate that. That's worthy of celebration. I pray they'd tell someone they came with or come and find a pastor or a staff member because, Lord, there's a celebration in heaven because of that kind of freedom of life that we can say, no, Jesus, you are our enough already. You are our enough. Father God, for the rest of us, Lord, just help us as we lean into this sensitive subject and just keep helping us to show up, show up, to learn from your word throughout this series. Lord, we thank you. And we pray these things in your great name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.